Welcome to episode five of the Radio Gaga podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm your host, Justine Pajowski, and today we are talking about the 2003 album Give Up by the Postal Service. I had two main sources that helped me with this episode, including Rolling Stone and a 2013 Vice documentary about the Postal Service called Some Idealistic Future. It's under 15 minutes long, but it's all about the 10-year reunion of the band in 2013. Highly recommend if you're a Postal Service fan. Let's go back in time real quick to 1988, long before the Postal Service was even a sparkle in an indie kid's eye. 1988 was the year that Sub Pop Records was founded, the independent record label that would eventually be a central player in the grunge movement of the late 80s and early 1990s. Sub Pop's very first bands included Nirvana, Mud Honey, and Soundgarden. The label had humble beginnings, but was eventually responsible for popularizing what was called the Seattle Sound. Nirvana left Sub Pop after recording their first studio album, 1989's Bleach, but Sub Pop was still central to the grunge movement in the early 90s. Grunge would only have a few years left in the sun. Kurt Cobain died in 1994, effectively beginning the end of the grunge movement. But it wasn't the end of Sub Pop. The label very appropriately shifted gears and started signing some of the best indie rock bands to come out of the early 2000s. Side note, good on them for not trying to stay on the grunge train, because then they may have been trapped in that post-grunge, new metal movement of the early 2000s, which sucks. Creed, Korn, Nickelback, I'm looking at you. Some of the indie bands Sub Pop started signing in the late 90s and early 2000s included Sunny Day Real Estate, Slater Kinney, Blitz and Trapper, The Shins, Iron and Wine, and The Postal Service. This proved an extremely good decision for the record label, which has since grown past their indie label moniker and has continued signing some of indie's best names, including Father John Misty and Band of Horses. But since the label was founded in 1988, Sub Pop has only released two albums that have been certified as platinum, that's sales of over 1 million, Bleach by Nirvana and Give Up by the Postal Service. Give Up came out in February of 2003 but it wasn't that successful when it first released. The band toured for a couple months to promote the album, but it didn't actually start picking up steam until after they stopped promoting it. I'll come back to that in a second. First, I want to introduce you to the members of the Postal Service. I don't know if I'd call the Postal Service a supergroup, though in the context of indie music, I guess it might be. The lead singer of the Postal Service is Ben Gibbard, who's also the lead singer of Death Cab for Cutie. He founded the group with producer and electronica solo artist Jimmy Tamborello, who is also known by his stage name, Dintel. The two of them met because one of Tamborello's roommates was in a band that went on tour with Death Cab for Cutie. Ben became friends with him and came from Seattle to visit LA around the same time Tamborello was working on initial plans for a new Dintel project. Gibbard sang for that song and they ended up becoming good friends. Familiar to me, the smoke too thick to breathe. 
thought it might be cool to put out an entire EP together, so they started working on Give Up. The reason this band is called The Postal Service is because at the time they recorded this album, Tamborello was living in Los Angeles and Gibbard was still living in Seattle. Tamborello would mail his music on CDRs to Sub Pop, which Gibbard would then pick up and listen to on his Walkman as he walked around Seattle, thinking of lyrics and other additions he could make. Gibbard would then record his parts and mail back the disc with his additions, including guitar, keyboard, and vocals. Gibbard also enlisted the help of Jenny Lewis, the lead singer and rhythm guitarist of Rilo Kiley. She got a call from Ben Gibbard one day asking if she would want to contribute vocals to the Postal Service, and she basically geeked out and immediately said yes. In addition to a successful music career as an adult, Lewis is also known for having a storied acting career as a child, with small roles in TV shows including The Golden Girls, Growing Pains, and Murder, She Wrote. She also appeared in more than a dozen teen movies, including one of her most famous roles as Hannah Neffler in Troop Beverly Hills. Once Gibbard and Tamborello had worked through most of the tracks through the mail, they wanted to get together in L.A. with Jenny Lewis to record her parts. She had never met Ben or Jimmy before, so on the day Gibbard arrived in L.A. to finish recording the album, Jenny drove the Rilo Kylie van to go pick him up at the airport. Ben was holding up a sign that said, Ben Gibbard, as if Jenny didn't already know. Jenny scooped him up at LAX, they went to meet Jimmy at a Mexican restaurant, and headed to the recording studio to lay down Jenny's vocal tracks and some additional vocals from Gibbard, and his longtime friend, Jen Wood. All in all, it took about a year from concept to finished product for the Postal Service, but it was one of the cheapest records Sub Pop ever made. So let's get into how this album got so popular. Because when the Postal Service was trying to book the tour for Give Up, they actually had a really hard time booking shows. Even though Death Cab for Cutie was pretty popular at this point, it was still hard for the band to explain what the project was. So a lot of people just weren't biting on it. Their tour for Give Up at the beginning was wrought with budget constraints. The entire band and their tour manager all stayed in one hotel room. But they stayed great friends and everything was just generally a lot of fun on tour. As they traveled across the country, shows started selling out and venues started bumping up capacities. The band was getting more popular and they could see physical proof of that as they ended their five-week tour. With the tour finished, the Postal Service stopped promoting the album and went on to their regular day jobs. Gibbard went on to finish writing and recording Death Cab's Transatlanticism later that year. Lewis went back to singing with Rilo Kiley. And Tamborello worked on new projects of his own. But unbeknownst to them, the momentum of Give Up would begin taking on a life of its own. The biggest turning point was when K-Rock in Los Angeles began playing Such Great Heights in its regular rotation. And then the movie Garden State came along. Such Great Heights was the featured song in the trailer, and the Iron and Wine cover of Such Great Heights was on the soundtrack. All of a sudden, you started hearing the song all over TV commercials and mainstream radio. From 2004 until 2013, the band was completely inactive. Give Up was growing in popularity as its band members sort of moved on from it. It was in 2013 that the band would get back together, very temporarily, as sort of a fan service move in the wake of the album going platinum. 
Their very last show was at Lollapalooza in Chicago in 2013. Before the encore, Ben Gibbard stood up and said, this will be the last song of our last show ever. And all indie kids everywhere shed a single tear. What made the Postal Service so great was that no one was trying to be frontman. No one was trying to be the boss. They all paved the way for each other to add their own parts and their own talents. The selfless act of moving out of the way for each other was undoubtedly what made the Postal Service's music as wide-reaching as it became. So let's dive a little deeper into the making of Give Up and some of the controversies surrounding the band with my guest, DJ Pihowski. I am so excited to welcome DJ to the podcast. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. For anybody who does not know DJ, he is my sweet husband of four years, more than four years now. Yeah, four plus, uh, going strong. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it's it's this is exciting. We just finished dinner and uh, dishes, and now uh, we're going to have a conversation about music, which is somewhat typical uh, around <laughs> nightly the house, activity. But we're going to record it this time, and people are going to let us know whether they think it's interesting or not. So I guess that's. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very, very excited. I love this album. I do too. I'm so excited to have you. So Give Up comes out 2003. There's a lot going on in the music industry. There's a ton going on at this time. Let's maybe talk about what the music industry was like at the time. Yeah. So I think uh, I am, like most things, I'm very far from the best person to to talk to about this, to speak to this, because uh, I grew up in a very small, uh, very uncool town uh in northern illinois most people's 2003 was like my 2006 or 2007 uh in that i just like the postal service in 2003 like wasn't even close to being on my radar i I was i would wear my nirvana t-shirts to school every day and it just was so far behind culturally i guess which i obviously like still am but kind of fun now to look back like 15 years on what albums were coming out in 2003 and you know kind of piece together the history of what actually was going on at the time in my head i mean it it kind of almost signals this time where you you know it was it was almost in a lot of ways i think it was kind of like the end of like you know monoculture type of things and i think the internet probably is is a huge reason for that because you know in addition to wearing my nirvana t-shirts i was also downloading shitloads of music uh (laughs) illegally for the first time in my life and uh it was one of those times where like all of a sudden you could listen to anything you wanted and there was an audience for everything instead of kind of all right here's the band or here is here is the indie band and here is the hip-hop group and here is the boy band and here is the heavy metal group and stuff all of a sudden there was like a much deeper kind of distribution well i guess for for all of these different groups and obviously that's only gotten you know deeper and deeper and deeper and you have a niche for everything now and kind of seemingly like that's just going to continue until whatever the next internet is but that shakes everything up but anyways it's a very long way of saying i i think that's kind of one of the reasons that a lot of the people in this band felt comfortable breaking off and trying something really weird and unique and different like the postal service because you had these three people who were all independently really successful and you know there was this time in music you know the music industry and music distribution and all of these different things where they kind of had said oh well like i think we can make this weird thing and at least some people will like it 
and they did and they did so uh <laughs> so it's it's cool it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird fun time to look back at because you had you know you still had the you know the jay-z's and beyonce i think maybe that was that might have been like crazy in love uh, i think that was crazy in love collaboration times uh, and you you had uh hey ya i think came <laughs> out the same year which honestly might have been like the monoculture song that was like number one song in the country for like 56 weeks or something like that i think it's the number insane. one song since then honestly like honestly? congrats on the 15 year anniversary <laughs> of being at every wedding possible hey yeah good yeah. job <laughs> and honestly like it's a good song i it's a great song. i really really like it i feel like 2003 2004 that whole era was kind of a year of transition for me so 2003 was the first year that i went that was my freshman year of high school 2003 2004 school year Going from Catholic grade school, everybody's in uniforms, trying to just fit in and get by versus getting into high school. And like I met a couple of the best friends that I have today, my first day of band camp. And those are the same friends that I listen to this kind of music with. And those are the same friends that I constantly watch Garden State with. Like (laughs) those that those moments for me. That was a very transitional year because I was learning individually how I felt about music and being okay with breaking out of this, like, everybody needs to listen to the same stuff because if you listen to something different, you're, like, even weirder. (laughs) And I did not need any more weird points, to be frank with you, in eighth grade because I was bullied. And going into high school, you, you know, those were some of the years that made me into the person that I am today because I found... I found my people. I found my like uber music nerds. I found my fellow indie music fans. And none of us, I mean, none of us had any experience listening to this kind of music before, but we all sort of explored it and we all sort of discovered it together. That won't ever go away for me, like loving this kind of music um, and appreciating the experimentation of it. So I'm curious, were you listening to this album at that time when it came out or or what was your relationship with this album because i don't remember this even being like on my radar until i don't even know maybe like when i got to college so i am kind of with you as far as not really knowing about give up right when it came out i think that was a lot of people's experience like you were saying i was still sort of listening to some of the like pop music and some like pop punk i was getting into that like ataris and fallout boy and sort of that growing that branch of my musical jacksonville's yellow card yellow card yeah i was i was starting to get into all those all those genres um then garden state came out in 2004 (laughs) and everything changed whatever don't (laughs) laugh at me (laughs) but garden state i remember watching this movie with my friends i remember listening to the soundtrack basically for all of like 2005 2006 so like sophomore junior years the soundtrack is still to this day so good. I'm yeah. not kidding. It's, no, I'm with it's you. I hear so you. good. It's got so it's got Coldplay, Don't Panic. Oh. An amazing song. Seminal. The shins are all over it. Uh there's like Nick Drake, Simon and Garfunkel, Only Living Boy in New York is on that soundtrack. That's a really good song. I, I like mean it's song. it's all good. Fru Fru. Yeah. This this soundtrack played a huge role in my love for the indie music genre. So how is all this related to the postal service? So the, re- the way it's related to the Postal Service is that Such Great Heights, the Postal Service song, was covered by Iron and Wine. Right, right, right. And right. Iron and Wine, that cover is on the Garden State soundtrack. And if I remember right, it's one of the really 
the really slow kind of oh dirty. it's slow baby <laughs> it is slow it's one of the kind of i don't know i think there was like an a epidemic of those like dirgy indie <laughs> covers that were going on for for from like 2002 to 2007 or something like that it's just like people couldn't get enough i have a theory of small working theory about this which is probably stupid one year before this album came out Johnny Cash covered uh, Hurt. Nine Inch Nails, yeah. that's right. And I think that was ev- in 2002? Yes, and I think every indie kid was like, what if I like, <laughs> what if I took every song <laughs> and just slowed it down 400% oh, no. and did the same thing? There is no doubt that acoustic versions of original songs were definitely having a super moment. Super moment, yeah. We laugh about that in our band. We call it Scrubs version. <laughs> <laughs> you can play the original version or you can play the, play the Scrubs, Scrubs version, version, which is like 1A, <laughs> the speed, and just way more earnest. And you kind of pronounce every syllable. Oh, God. Yeah. And that that was a lot of a lot of that can be attributed to Garden State, I feel like, that whole, the whole vibe. Well, I was a really big fan of it. And that's and also um, the Postal Service was not their music was not on the soundtrack, uh, not in the movie, but such great heights. Their version of the song was in the trailer for Garden State. I didn't know that. OK. Yeah. So it was, it was featured prominently. It was, Of course it was. Yeah. Big moment. Big moment for the Postal Service. Big moment for Ben Gibbard. I mean, that probably contributed heavily to, you know, this such a delayed success for this album then. I mean, I'm sure that was that got it on a ton of people's radars. I'm sure your story oh, is not absolutely. super unique. No, know? it's not. So that that's what I was saying about like my indie music. So yeah, it was like 2005, 2006 that I was listening to the soundtrack a ton. And then I sort of realized, okay, this is actually a Postal Service song. I'm going to dig into this band a little bit more. Um, and then Justin and I, I talked about Justin on the first episode. Um, he's the one that played guitar at our wedding. Right. Um, but he was he was my bandmate in high school one of my bandmates in high school um and he and I played nothing better together for like a I'm sure it was after prom or like pioneer palooza or something like that which is exactly what it sounds like our mascot was a pioneer and it was our battle of the bands that's like the Woodstock of university high school whatever (laughs) I had a good time it was super fun look I played battle of the bands I know know how it is those were good days yeah third place (laughs) Who got first and second? How many people were in your uh, school? I think Social Coma got first. Oh. <laughs> they were kind of a heavyweight. Social Coma. Yeah, they were kind of a heavyweight what in the town. What a town. horrible name. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. I haven't really followed their career. But oh, my God. Yeah. Well, listen, you're first place in my heart. Oh, thank you. All right, let's let's keep this thing moving. Why don't we talk? Why don't we talk about the tracks on Give Up? Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> this album is filled with amazing songs and i think at first glance it's just like oh cute this is like a fun like indie pop album and you dig into these songs a little bit and you're like this is some deep yeah this is deep shit it's really good uh but it's so and it's so good so let's go let's go ahead and just start with the first track the district sleeps alone tonight
So this song is about Ben Gibbard's girlfriend moving to Washington, D.C. And they broke up right before this album came out. So I think it was like 2000, 2001. They had been living together. Her name, um, her name is Allison Levy. And she and Ben Gibbard were dating as Death Cab for Cutie was getting really popular. And that's kind of what started the rift in their relationship is when you, you know, when you're in a really successful band and you're on tour all the time, you don't really get to see the people back at home. And I think that just kind of wrecked their relationship a little bit. Um, But the song is talking about how he goes and visits her in D.C. And it starts out with this sort of attitude that I, I moved on. Like, you look out of place here. Like, we broke up. This is... Yeah, it feels like condescending. Almost. A little bit. A little bit condescending with, at the like beginning. Like, intentionally condescending. And yeah. I think he he comes into... I think this is, like, my favorite writing on the album. I just think this is... I think this song's so cool. Because I think he comes into it... Yeah, like you're saying, he kind of like a... Oh, boy. Man, what a big deal I am. Like, I'm mm-hmm. so sorry I had to leave you in the dust. And then he goes and visits and he just, he feels like a clown, basically, because he's like, oh my gosh, you, turns out you have your own life. And you, you are the one yeah, that, yeah. 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 I, I was the one I was leaving. the one worth leaving. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I don't know. I just, I really like the song. Not as much as you, I don't think. This, but. no, this is my favorite song on Give Up. Just right out, right hot, out the gate. Hot start. Hot start for me. I, I think this is so beautifully written and beautifully produced. Honestly, man, like this is so stupid. Maybe the only thing that keeps it from being my favorite song is just the way that it starts feels. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe <laughs> it's oh, maybe I know un- what you're gonna say it's maybe unfair, but it, like I think Ben Gibbard being married for a little bit to Zoe Deschanel has just painted him as this like big whiner to me DJ at times. hates Zoe Deschanel, everybody. <laughs> and it's just everything is like... Can't a, get past just it. Just like a little too cute and a little too like, oh gosh, what? This is so mystical and magical. And the way that this starts, it just smeared fucking... It's just... Have you not ever uh, listened to Death Cab No, I have. And I really like it. I just... I don't know why that one just... It just grates me a little bit. But uh, I love the rest of the song. I think it's an awesome, awesome, awesome song. It's a very stupid nit to pick, but here we are. <laughs> but you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah. I love you and I super disagree <laughs> with you, but you're entitled right, to your well, opinion. Thanks. Okay. I love a lot of the production on this song and there are, there are some elements to it that the band was not expecting to have in the song. One of the elements starts toward the middle of the song and it is Jenny Lewis's voice, and she's just singing kind of one like note. She's not really saying any words, it's just like one continuous note, and it's mm-hmm. kind of on a loop. And that was actually by accident. Uh, Jimmy Tamborello talks about this in the Song Exploder podcast, which is an amazing podcast if you haven't listened to it yet what they do on song exploder is every episode breaks down one single song and the interviewer talks to the musician who played or the producer of the song like somebody who was involved in the making of the song and it's it's an awesome podcast all right i gotta check that out this Uh, is the only music podcast i listen to no (laughs) you're sweet (laughs) uh but he accidentally, so Tamborello talks about how he accidentally looped Jenny Lewis's vocals on this song and realized like, oh, this is actually kind of a cool 
addition to this part of the music. I don't think I've ever noticed that. That's like such a, there's got to be so many little elements of the production in this that you don't ever notice except for your feet are tapping along to them or you, you know, you, you inherently know them. You've just never really thought about them. I, I feel like that's what's really cool about this album. I, I don't know. I think this song sets the tone a lot for the album, which is, uh, I think Jimmy Tamborello when he first kind of, you know when they kind of conceived the whole project i think he pictured it much more like an electronica kind of dintel style album i'm sure ben gibbard pictured it much more like a death cab style album and i think it feel like at times it feels uh it just it feels like it gets pulled in both directions but it never rips almost i mean it, it just it feels like the best of both of those guys which is so cool and i think that's why i like it so much yeah uh i think ben gibbard's voice is so distinct that at times it feels like you're listening to death cab and then when you're listening to something like such great heights on headphones and your brain is just (laughs) dancing all over your head because sound is coming from everywhere you're like oh my god this is unlike any indie rock i've ever listened to in my life and i think the first song i think district district sleeps alone tonight just kind of encapsulates the best of the best of both of those guys let's talk about such great heights So Such Great Heights was the song that got me into the Postal Service. As I mentioned earlier, it was on, it was covered by Iron and Wine on the Garden State soundtrack. And I realized, oh, this is not an Iron Wine song. So I listened to the original, started listening to Give Up, and that's where I ended up. And I think this song is interesting because it is one of the only love songs that Ben Gibbard has ever written. Yeah. And I think the only love song on Give Up. It's just straightforward and... It's just It's sweet. Yeah, it is. It's great. I think a lot of my favorite love songs, I maybe mean, not all of them, but a lot of them are the ones where you've you've listened to them 60 times without actually realizing kind of what's being said and then you can peel back this whole other layer and it's just I don't know. It's beautiful. I love this song. It's it's fantastic. And it's got it's by far I think the best that Jimmy Tamborello gets on this album like the electronics of this oh, are great. like pretty much iconic at uh-huh. this point like <laughs> just you you can recognize that immediately anywhere <laughs> you can recognize it anywhere and it's just it's i love 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 this song it's so good so in 2012 ben gibbard had an interview with rolling stone and he says i think such great heights is the first time i've ever written a positive love song where it's a song about being in love and how it's rad rather than having your heart broken. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. Um, so this, and, and we'll get into this a little bit later because there are some songs that might sound like love songs on Give Up, but this is the only one that is a love song. Yeah. One interesting thing about the Postal Service is that I think Jenny Lewis, her voice is very distinct and she's more well-known for being a part of the Postal Service than... The other female singer, Jen Wood. Yeah, much um, much more. Formal. Yeah, I mean, because she had, she's got Rilo Kylie. She's a lot better known than Jen Wood. So Jen Wood and Ben Gibbard had been longtime friends. And 
he asked for Jen to sing on some of the songs too, but she does the backing. Jen Wood does the backing vocals on Such Great Heights. I don't really know why he wanted both of them. Um, they sound very similar. They have their own, you know, unique voices, but in the end, like, it's kind of hard to tell no, once in a while. It was super hard to tell. Yeah. I, I had always thought, I mean, we'll get to it when we talk about nothing better, but I had always assumed that that was, <laughs> that that was Jenny Lewis singing. It, it definitely fooled my very shitty ear. Uh, Such Great Heights is, it's an awesome song, obviously. It's also part of, I think, some of the best uh, little, like, mini controversies. You had the U.S. Postal Service who, I, I don't know if you, you talked about this already or not, but they basically cease and desisted, you know, as soon as they released an album under the band name The Postal Service, The Postal Service sent them a cease and desist and was like, hey, the United you, States Postal Service. Yeah, you can't use this name. This, um, You know, we really, we, we appreciate it, but legally we just can't let you do it. it. Blah, 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 blah. And to the point where these guys ended up having to sign... <laughs> sign like the least rock and roll uh deal of all time which was that they had to sell the album on like usps.com which i'm sure sold tens of albums and then they also had to like i read somewhere they had to basically fly i forget where it was if it was like salt lake city or something but united Pro- the u.s postal service was having like an executives conference and these guys barely ever played live because they had other bands and you know blah 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 uh but the postal service had to come fly to wherever this meeting was and play for this room full of executives, which again <laughs> is like, I'm probably not why they set out to make this record. Uh, so it's just funny that the postal service was so the United States postal service was so, you know, this was so on their radar. And then a couple of years later in the famous uh, UPS, you know, whiteboard commercials where you had the guy doing like the stop motion mm-hmm. animation on the, on the whiteboard. Uh, UPS, like the biggest competitor, you know, UPS and FedEx, the biggest competitors of the United States Postal Service used this song in their ad. And all of a sudden, (laughs) as he's drawing, you know, you hear do, 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 do. Oh, I forgot about Uh, that. So it's just, I don't know. It's just funny. All right. Great. Well, you already love the reliability of the big brown truck, but let's say you're shipping something really big. Or pallets of lots of little... An interesting thing about the music video for Such Great Heights. So the music video was made by a directorial duo by the name of Josh and Xander. Super cool and hipster. Josh and Xander. Josh and Xander later created a commercial for Apple and Intel. And they saved a lot of time in the process. And they saved a lot of time because (laughs) they basically did a shot-for-shot remake of the Such Great Heights music video without the music for this Apple commercial. And if you Google uh, such great heights, Apple Intel, I think you could probably find it, but it is like mind blowing how blatantly they copied themselves. To the point where like maybe, I I have no idea. I'm not a music video person at all. Like maybe it was almost like a commentary. (laughs) Like (laughs) it was almost like a parody commentary on like that's how close of a shot for shot it was if you if you find the music video it's it's crazy it's insane and that was one of the i didn't even realize this music videos were very much also not on my radar at this time and uh it, it kind of struck me as funny you know you mentioned one of your main sources earlier was the the documentary the kind of mini doc about about this album and i just thought it was funny that intel was one of the sponsors of that documentary <laughs> oh, i didn't remember that they were one of the companies that <laughs> basically ripped off this 
this music video as well. So let's talk about sleeping in. Sleeping in on the surface sounds kind of like a cool, just laid back jam. Uh, In reality, it is about global warming and the JFK assassination. The song first describes JFK's assassin as, quote, just a man with something to prove, slightly bored and severely confused. And this description sounds a lot like what the Warren Commission had concluded about Lee Harvey Oswald. The Warren Commission had determined that Oswald had acted alone. And the narrator doesn't want to wake up from this dream that he's talking about in the song because, as the song suggests, reality is much murkier than than this. Uh, the implication is that Oswald did not, in fact, act alone and that the public was much too willing to be soothed by this simplistic idea that he did. The second verse goes into global warming and he's still dreaming and how in his dream, global warming is actually a reward for the good things that people do for each other on the earth. And Sleeping In, um, the title of the song, and Don't Wake Me, I Plan on Sleeping In being the like general theme of the song, is basically a metaphor for burying your head in the sand so you don't have to face uncomfortable truths. Yeah, I think it's just kind of throwing your hands up basically at like how, you know, there's evidence everywhere of everything and just nobody wants to do anything about it, which mm-hmm. is a pretty defeatist, uh, but sort of relatable uh feeling for sure i will say this is not it's not like far from my favorite on the album uh i've kind of said this i I think you and i have talked about this quite a bit i think that this album is pretty top heavy i i really i love the songs that i love i love enough you know to kind of pull the other ones along with it uh but this is one that i'd probably put i don't know about in the bottom half but probably right on that line between really love and kind of like could go with never hearing again mm-hmm. i'm, I'm kind of whatever like i think i've heard them so many times at this point that they're interesting to me and i i can sing along and and whatever but it's not i, I don't know there's a lot of some of them they feel like you know they kind of wrote uh across the country through the mail <laughs> and they just don't feel <laughs> they feel kind of kind of whatever uh and i think this is this is probably in the pile of songs that are not my favorite i would agree with that well, let's talk about nothing better. The next track. Will someone please call the surgeon who can crack my ribs and repair this broken heart that sure deserted for better company. I can't accept that as over. I love this song. This song is awesome. I this song is absolutely in my the good pile. I like. Is this your favorite? I don't think so. I think there's one that's just a touch better, but it's really, really, really close to my mm-hmm. favorite. I think it's so good. I think, again, I think like the writing is, the writing's really cool. And I don't know, the call and repeat is kind of like a, a little vintagey and throwbacky. I think probably kind of on purpose. Mm-hmm, it is on purpose. Uh, and I don't know. It's just, it's just really fun. I love singing along to it. I think the, like lyrically, I think it's really good. I think there's some really good lines in it. Um, I think it was the title of the documentary we watched, you know, the some idealistic future. Mm-hmm. I think I think that line just hits really close to home about uh, you know, feeding lines about an idealistic future. Like 
guilty <laughs> uh but yeah i don't know i just i think there's i think there's so much to like about this song let's go back to what you had mentioned about an intentional callback yeah uh ben gibbard has confirmed that nothing better was basically based on the song don't you want me by yeah. the human league shout out to the human league So the, the like call and response back and forth between the guy and the girl throughout the song, that was a very heavy source of inspiration for Nothing Better. Yeah. and it, Which is so cool. It feels very much like once somebody tells you that, I mean, that's all you can hear when you listen to this song. Right. I feel like uh, <laughs> I love that it, it sounds stupid, but I love that it feels it feels old. It feels new. It feels like just a, a cool, unique spin on something that's been done since, you know, the 30s in, in kind of like popular music. So. I think it's really cool. You like sports, right? <laughs> Sometimes. Okay. Less and less, and less. Maybe you can explain this part to me. So in the first verse, he sings the words, I will block the door like a goalie tending the net in the third quarter of a tied game rivalry. What sport is that? <laughs> because. It's <laughs> not soccer. No, because soccer has halves, not quarters. It seems like he might be making a hockey reference because there are three periods, but that's a period. That's not a quarter. Right. I mean, I guess maybe lacrosse. Is that quarters? So lacrosse, they play they play quarters. Uh, but is, are we really referencing lacrosse really in a Postal Service I album? Don't Come on. Think it's a, I don't think it's a lacrosse reference. That would be the only thing I could think with a goalie tending a net in a sport. In the third quarter. That plays quarters. That's that's a good catch because that's a shitty, that's a <laughs> shitty line. That's it's not. Good. I don't know if Ben Gibbard is the biggest sports fan, but that he doesn't strike me as the biggest sports fan. But you never know; he could be a sports true. fan. Yeah, you're right. Anybody who does know the answer to this, please write me yeah. at radiogagablog.com. Head to the contact page. Please tell me what what this sport means. we're talking about here. What sport is this? Yeah. Let's talk about recycled air. The patchwork To the ocean's arms, calm down, release your cares, the stale taste, recycle air. So I wanted to I wanted to believe that this song was about love or about a relationship or a friendship or something, but I literally just think that this song is about being on an airplane. Really? Yes. It's just super literal. It is very literal. I don't, I mean, he, we know it's not a love song because Ben Gibbard already said that Such Great Heights was pretty much one of the only love songs he ever wrote. Well, he said the only positive love song. That's true. It could be, you know, he writes a lot of love songs that are, don't paint love in the, in the best light, which it could be. I don't think this is a love song. He talks about knuckles clenched to white as the landing gear retracts for flight. My head's a balloon inflating with the altitude. Like we can, we could really break this down if we wanted to and be like, what is yeah, the altitude maybe, well, mean? Yeah, like maybe it's about knuckles clenched to white. Like is he nervous about something? on an airplane and where's he going on the airplane? No, I think he's he just like being on a plane. There? I watched the patchwork farms slow fade into ocean's arms. Yep. And from here, they can't see me stare the stale taste of recycled air. Yeah, that's just, uh, 
look, I've been on a lot of planes. That that just <laughs> just sounds like being on a plane. And yeah, I I guess I I don't know. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. I guess I I, I feel I feel what he's feeling a little bit. There's a little disconnection in this song. You know, there's a little bit of a little bit of you know the world is down there and I'm up here. There's there's probably a little bit of that going on. But okay. Look, this is this I like is, that. It's fine. It's- this is in the bad pile for sure. <laughs> like this is this is in the pile where I'm like ah. Yeah, I just I don't care. Like it's that's, not his strongest. Yeah, like I I hear you, man. But let's let's keep moving. Let's let's like there, there's there's better stuff to come. Let's talk about Clark Gable. This song really, really hurts my heart. Okay, it is a good. very you need sad to fill song. Me in because this is another one where I'm like, I just haven't given it its due. I haven't thought about it enough. I'm sure. So, basically, he equates being in love to watching a movie about love. He wants to believe that love is like it is in the movies. I think the song implies that when it isn't like it's in the movies, it isn't real love. Or he thinks it's not real love. And this song is super, super, super upbeat. Like, it's got, like, the disco, like, boo! Like, I love that part of it. And it sounds very happy and very exciting. Um, And I think that is supposed to throw you a little bit. Um, Kind of like when you're watching a love story in a movie. Yeah. And he kind of breaks it down a little bit and says in the in the chorus, I want so badly to believe that there is truth that love is real and I want life in every word to the extent that it's absurd. And the absurdity I think he's referencing is movies, is film because everything is so like there needs to be no boring no boring There's times. no boring parts. Yeah. And in love, in real life love, there are boring parts. There are upsetting parts. There are parts where you look at the other person like they're Clark Gable and you're super in love. And like the way that he frames this song is I'm he terrified sets... which of those moments this is right now. <laughs> <laughs> the, way he's, the way he sets up Clark Gable is he essentially positions it like he tells this, this girl that he's in a relationship with and he's seeing her as an actress. And so in the first verse, in the second verse, he talks about, I changed my plans. I rented a camera and a van and then I called you. I need you to pretend that we were in love again and you agreed to. He pulls in this girl and he says, look, like this has to be movie love. And then by the end of it, he realizes that when it's movie love, it's, it's not actually real. Um, and I think he realizes that a little too late. Which I really like about this song. I love, yeah, I love the song, and I have never thought of any of that stuff, uh, and really never taken the lyrics all that seriously. Because I think <laughs> you're totally right. I think I'm completely uh, just whitewashed by the like the <laughs> funness of the song. It's, it's really fun, but uh, it's very sad. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think too, this can be applied in a lot of ways to how a lot of us use social media, for Instagram, for example. We use that as sort of a, it's a highlight reel of, of life. And 
when I post a picture of you and me on Instagram, it's not going to be a picture of us fighting. It's not going to be a picture of us just sitting on the couch and watching TV and being bored together. Like it's going to be something that is a little more magical, like a special moment that we have had together some somewhere we are traveling together. And I'm not the only one. I mean, everybody uses Instagram this way. And I think that is kind of a modern day example of this song. He yeah. equates this to film, but this is Instagram didn't really exist when no, this song I, came out. I and, agree. I think this song has gotten way more relevant. Than, oh yeah. And the verse, the yeah. second verse here, like I greased the lens and framed the shot using a friend as my stand in the script called for rain, but it was clear that day. So we faked it. And like, isn't that, isn't that kind of Instagram a little bit yeah, and like social sure. media, you kind of like, no, let me get this side of my face. Cause I look better on this side. And like, oh, we should get this in the background because we're at the beach or we're wherever. And like you kind of position something that's happening in real life to the best possible way that it can be to show everybody else. And why do we do that? Like, why can't we just appreciate the moment for what it is? You know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of a billion reasons, I guess. Just (laughs) insecurity and narcissism and a lot of different things but yeah you're kind of talking me into into liking the song a lot more than i than i did coming in so good job (laughs) that's good yeah uh i wanted to point out one other thing about the song that i found really interesting and i think might be a reference to the relationship that he's talking about there is some back masking that happens at the end and back masking really yeah so back masking is basically when you play a clip of music backward and you use that as your and you use that as the new clip. So you've probably heard this a lot in you've probably heard backmasking referenced as it pertains to like metal music and the Beatles, like listening to a Beatles album backward, you hear like John is dead kind of thing. And um, but backmasking can be used as purely an aesthetic thing for producers. And I think Jimmy Tamborello does that here. Um, so if you listen to the back masking in the song. The singer is saying, when it struck me. And that is one of the lines in the song. It's interesting that they use backmasking at the end of this song because it almost feels like you're the narrator is trying to move backward and like redo Yeah, it feels like rewind in, the tape he's a little in the bit. Edit bay, just yeah, kind of watching exactly. it back and watching it back and watching it back and watching it back. Exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting that Especially I think, that line in that moment mm-hmm. when it struck me is that's kind of heartbreaking. It's it's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I like the song I love so much. It. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> Make me feel depressed and you have my heart, yeah. honestly. How about we will become silhouettes? I've got a cupboard with cans of food, filtered water and pictures of you. And I'm not coming out until this is all over. And I'm looking through the glass where the light bends at the cracks. I think we're we've arrived at my favorite song. I really? Think. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good, and I I don't think I 
I think honestly, like even since I, you know, you asked me to do this and I would have been reading about it and listening to it nonstop and stuff. Like, I think it's just become even more my favorite song. I just, God, I think it's so good. What do you like about it? I think it has the best elements of a ton of what we've talked about already. I think that the electronic aspects of it are, they're not overwhelming. They're just, they fit. I think that everything fits together well on this song. Everything is kind of in its in its right place, I guess. Uh, the The reason I say that is like it just feels like they wrote this one together, and I have no idea how they wrote the song. It's, I'm just telling you how it feels when you listen to it. But it feels like they wrote it together rather than okay, I'll write my part and you write your part, and we'll kind of sort of smush them together, mm. and hopefully it works. I like that because there's a lot where it definitely doesn't work especially like a couple of the last songs that we'll kind of get to here but this one it just feels like you're they're completely on the same page and it just feels like a like a band that is totally in sync with each other and i just i I just love it i don't know it's it's such a it's infectious it's so good this was the only song of the postal services to crack the top 100 yeah, I'm also a huge, just a just mainstream. Just billboard. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm a big billboard guy, for sure. Um, no, I, I don't know. Do you like it? Do you like this I, one? I love this song, and I think I love it mostly. It sounds like you love it a lot for like the production aspects of it and the way that it sounds, and I think I, com- I completely agree with that, but I think I also really like it for the lyrics and the content of the song. Are you familiar with what the song's about? Or what it's referencing? I'm not. I'm looking up the lyrics right now so I can follow along with what you're saying, which is kind of what I've secretly been doing every every (laughs) song that you've been talking about. So Ben Gabbard wrote We Will Become Silhouettes after 9-11. And he wrote it sort of in this wake of this paralyzing fear that the country felt. This song references basically a nuclear holocaust. We will become silhouettes when our bodies finally go is referencing what would happen to you if a nuclear bomb went off in your vicinity and you would just be like literally a silhouette on the wall or on the ground. Like Looney Tunes. Exactly. Bugs Bunny or Elmer Fudd blowing up. Yes. Being ash on the wall. The intensity of the explosion would just incinerate you to the point of... Well, that's fun. ...being left to dust. But listen, (laughs) I think that... I mean, again, this is another one of those songs you could think about being a, being about a relationship or whatever, but I don't know. I think this, this song is about fear, but I also think there's kind of a weird comforting aspect to I, this song. I like, totally agree. Yeah, that was a nuclear holocaust and your like human body disappeared, but your silhouette is still here. Like you never really leave. And I think that's kind of a reference to you know, the people before us that have passed away maybe and you you never really forget about them. And their silhouette is always here. So We Will Become Silhouettes also reminds me of Say Anything's Alive with the Glory of Love, yeah, which is a definitely. love song in the middle of the Holocaust. I think, yeah, I was thinking that one and I was thinking uh, Father John Misty, uh, I Love You, Honey Bear. Oh, yeah. Which I know is kind of one of our joint favorites, but it's the same sort of, uh, ethos, I guess, which is, you know, everything is doomed, but like we're in love. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, let's focus on one thing at a time. I think you could argue that this is a song about a relationship, but I don't really want to. He talks about, I've got a cupboard with cans of food, filtered water and pictures of you. And I'm not coming out until this is all over. Um, so it could be about a fight. It could be about like a, a fight within a relationship. Yeah, I think it's probably just about 
major trauma of, yeah. of some sort. And yeah, and how we how we all maybe how we react to it yeah. individually and what's left behind afterwards, basically. Yeah. So the music video for We Will Become Silhouettes was directed by Jared Hess, if you recognize oh. that name. Big Napole- Nacho yeah, Libre Nacho fan Libre, over here. Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. He directed the video for this song, and it is kind of similar to what the song, what I think the song's about. It's like a it's like a post-nuclear world. And Ben Gibbard and Jimmy Tamborello and Jenny Lewis are all kind of like walking around this like post-apocalyptic kind of place. Uh, it's an interesting video if you want to check it out. I Sure. Yeah, I'll check it out. <laughs> what about This Place is a Prison? Out there like the one that I saw on the screen In my living room late last night It was almost too bright to see Yeah, not my favorite. That's <laughs> I don't okay. know. This this one falls again. I I have not done my due diligence on this song, and I would love for you to to tell me a little bit more about it. But uh, yeah, this one falls kind of in the forgettable, uh, you know, get me back to such great heights uh, mm. <laughs> sort of sort of pile, which is a very bad fan probably thing to say. I just I haven't really done my part of the contract here in in trying to figure out what it's all about. So this place is a prison. The place is referencing fame and partying. It is a song about partying and drinking too much and the emptiness that comes with that. I really, really like this song. Really? And I, I think it's... Did you like it a lot before you read a bunch about it? Or did, did that help, do you think? It definitely helped. Um, I think his voice is really great on this song. It's a little less like Death Cab, Ben <laughs> Gibbard, and more so like, yeah. this is the worst. And yeah. I'm going to sing about what this is what this is like this place is a prison and these people aren't your friends inhaling thrills through $20 bills and the tumblers are drained and then flooded again so that's obviously a reference to cocaine you you drink whiskey out of tumblers like that it's a very obvious reference to the partying lifestyle I think what I like so much about the way he wrote this song is that he starts out demonizing the partying lifestyle and saying this this is a prison these people aren't your friends he's trying to like feels like he's trying to tell someone else that it's not as cool as it seems and then by the end of it he's like what does it take to get a drink in this place and he's like i'm just as complicit as everybody else in this yeah and that's, that's what like i think i think that's so necessary in a song like this because halfway through that description i'm kind of like oh my god i've heard this song four thousand times times like 4,000 bands and people and like yeah oh my gosh just rock and roll man it's just I don't it's know empty, how to find I'm losing myself <laughs> it's like oh my god I don't care and at least like that's what I think they do really really well is they write songs that seem very literal and they kind of do a good job of spinning them into something more complex and something different and more and relatable relatable and metaphorical at the same time and uh, yeah, so, all right, I'll, look, I'll give it another listen. Well, and I think one of the most relatable parts of this song is the line in the second verse where he says, I know it's not a party if it happens every night. I love yeah, that that's, line. That's a really good line. It's, so, it's, it's like, imagine if we just went out every single <laughs> night. Like, what are we... 
I think it just it just flattens everything. I think it's kind of the obviously the like the purpose of that line is it just it just smashes life together into this kind of one feeling rather than having you know the highs and the lows all you know feeling those different things it just kind of every day is basically the same a thing that i did want to mention about this place is a prison the way that they produce the song and this might be one of the reasons that i love the song the most is that this song is all verse verse bridge verse there's no chorus on this song yeah and i thought about that the way that songs are usually structured there's usually a chorus and there's like a payoff the fact that there's not a payoff and not yeah, a chorus cool. in the built like the like built into this song kind of echoes this like night after night partying. It never actually gets better or more fun. It just Yeah, you're always kinda of waiting for something else to happen. Exactly. Yeah, that's Which cool. I think is a great that's I a think, good way to put that. I've never thought about that. I think it's a cool thing that they did. I like that. How about brand new colony? of this album just kind of kind of generally like bums me out and just i mean there's just not much not much pop to it i feel like and and i feel like brand new colonies in that same category you're can, looking at me like you're gonna can refute i that and say you really like it i'm gonna say that and can i <laughs> <laughs> can i bl- maybe blow your mind a little bit yeah, and tell you that gosh, i think please. i think this song is about a murder suicide and here's why so if you listen to the beginning of this song, you hear this like click. A lot of people believe that this is the click of a revolver. Just loading again. Right. Yeah. And like you can look at this song a lot of different ways. But again, I don't think this is a love song. And if it is, it's about a very dangerous, toxic love. Um, but basically, the whole song, he, the narrator, is talking about protecting somebody from the evils of the earthly world. So, like, I'll be the water wings that save you if you start drowning. He says, I'll be the platform shoes and undo what heredity's done to you. I'll be your winter coat buttoned and zipped straight to the throat with the collar up so you won't catch a cold. So this, the narrator is talking about protecting this person that he says that he loves from all of these terrible things that can happen to you as, as a human and in your, in your earthly body. I mean, this song just like gives me the chills because it's so like upbeat again, like they, like they do on this album, but this line just like kills me in the end, like sort of toward the end. We'll cut our bodies free from the tethers of this scene. Start a brand new colony where everything will change. We'll give ourselves new names. And he's he's essentially saying he sees no better way to protect this person that he loves from like earthly evils than to remove their earthly bodies from it. And like, to me, that's like, yeah. A murder suicide. Yeah, like no, I, let's go somewhere else. You and me together. Like I think the person narrating the song is a psychopath. Yeah, I'm 
again, I'm like, you're, you're changing my mind here. Really? Yeah, this sounds way better. I'm much more am interested I, Am now. I sick yeah. for thinking no, that? No, like, no, no. I don't think so at all. I think that's I think that's exactly what it means. And it's the the song starts out really, really positive. It talks about like wine, the table set. Is, I'm in my finest suit like a perfect gentleman. And I think this sets the scene for like establishing trust with somebody in, in, in a in a loving relationship and it just goes freaking downhill man from for me at least like from there I'm like oh my oh my god like the sun will heat the grounds under our bare feet in this brand new colony everything will change and I think this person in their head this narrator is like has this skewed view that if he just removes himself and her assuming that it is a man talking about a woman that he loves removing them from the earth that there's like this higher being that there's this this higher place that they will end up and they'll just be able to just be alone and in love and oh it's scary it's scary to me (laughs) I don't know it's really 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 creepy uh yeah (laughs) I don't I I do not listen I do not know if that was the well I think reason that he wrote this song I I don't think I don't know even if it's not to that extent it's still creepy I mean it's the entire thing is is trying to change save someone from being themselves basically you know the like the platform shoes line is really good about oh yeah like oh my gosh i'm so sorry that you're you know you were so short like let me fix that for you i think that's a really effective line there's a couple really effective lines in here that that really drive home a lot of what you're saying i'll be your winter coat buttoned up and zipped zipped straight to the throat like throat is such a visceral oh yeah word Uh like you don't have to you could have said neck you could have said chin you could have said any of those things but throat like when someone hears throat they think like yeah someone slit their throat you know like it's it's almost never associated with anything good that's a great point (laughs) you know that's a great point there's a couple really creepy lines in here that that kind of take it to the next level which is really good songwriting and and just really uh you know kind of gives more of a puzzle to each of these songs that by my own admission, I've never really been super into. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. It's it's kind of hard to uh, it's a hard thing to to reckon with when you know it's it's hard without. I'm not just kind of fluffing your podcast here, but it's it's hard without something like this to make you think about these things. It's really easy to just never think about them. You know, it's really mm-hmm. easy to just kind of let the song wash over you and be like, oh, I like the I like how it uses the Mario thing. That's fun. But if you think about (laughs) that in particular, I wanted to talk about that 8-bit like Mario video game sound that this is not the only song that um, Tamperell uses that in, but that's that's a popular sound on this album. And the fact that they use it in this song makes it feel like a video game, which makes it way creepier. No, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. Uh, Yeah, it's it's someone controlling a character, basically. I just love, I just love, I love this song. I really, you're you're shifting my mind a lot on this one. I like this. (laughs) That's good to hear. All right, last song on the album, Natural Anthem. Well, I'll I'll continue being a broken record here. This is... (laughs) Uh, hopefully I think you're going to at least agree with me on this one. Like this one, I really don't like this one feels way out of place. It feels way too, uh, one-sided on the Dintel side. It feels weirdly like a, I don't, I don't know if this is intentional or unintentional, probably unintentional. Uh, but you know, obviously kid a came out 
whatever five six years probably before this mm-hmm. and it Radiohead. just yeah the national anthems on that it's kind of discordy do, and do, do, yeah do. and this one just oh, feels song. like a really <laughs> shitty version of that and it's just uh it's just I, I i don't have a lot of redeeming uh redeeming comments for this song it's really not my favorite i do agree with you there i think it is too far on the dentel side but Jimmy Tamborello went into this project thinking it was going to be more skewed to that side. And the fact that he paired up with Ben Gibbard, I think, is the reason that this album is so, so, so successful. If all this album was like Natural Anthem, it would definitely have not been as much of a hit. Yeah, I agree. And he sings a little, like, Ben Gibbard sings a little bit on this song, and the lyrics are okay. They're not really anything special. I think this was one of the, I think this is one that Tamborella was like, all right, I want a song. Like, I want this song. This is going to be my song. It kind of felt like the Ringo song. This, yeah. <laughs> this felt like the Octopus's Garden of, of this oh, album. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it sounds like, it reminds me of Prodigy. You ever heard Prodigy before? No, nah, I've heard of them. I couldn't yeah. say that I'm familiar. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a Prodigy song. This, though, I, I do give him credit because if I'm, I'm looking at the positive side of this, this song actually sounds pretty similar or at least like it could be on the same album as the very very first song that Jimmy Tamborello and Ben Gibbard did together it was a Dentel song called this is the dream of Evan and Chan natural anthem feels very reminiscent of that song so i think he might be doing kind of a callback to that initial like this is when we first met like this is our first sort of the way that we initiated this relationship um i definitely don't think it fits on give up but respect i respect the hustle sure yeah i think that's fair i think that's fair it doesn't offend me (laughs) no Uh, no it's kind of it's a it's a the easiest skip on the on the album I'd say speaking of skip every time I play this on our record player we have the vinyl at our house here and every time I play this on the record player that like I feel like the record is skipping like every time I hear it I'm like is our record is it broken like is it got scratching it like but no it's just the song like I said it sounds like a prodigy song they do that a lot I, I'm not the biggest fan of natural anthem um, I wish it wasn't, uh, this is very stupid, but I wish it wasn't the last song. It always kind of leaves like a bad taste in my mouth a little bit. I get that. I, I definitely feel you on that. Why don't we look at the album cover? Sure. And talk about that. The cover of Give Up is interesting. It is from the perspective of somebody's bedroom, it looks like. And you can kind of see like the bedpost um, and you're looking out the window. But what's hard to see if you're looking at this on Spotify is above where it says the post service, Give Up. You look above that and out the window, there's this like strange futuristic looking building and about seven or eight like different Saturn looking planets. They could be planets or spaceships. Maybe they look it looks like a bunch of different like Saturns, though. So I don't know what this means. I mean, I certainly wouldn't pretend to know what it means either, (laughs) but I would uh, I mean, to me, I think there's a ton of just themes on this album about basically like the grass being greener and, and kind of thinking about really, really big themes from, you know, 
basically your bed, just lying in bed, kind mm. of thinking about the biggest questions of the universe sort of a thing. And this is kind of what it feels like to me is just somebody in a very, very, very normal situation looking out and imagining, you know, a not normal situation. I like how that. It, I how never I, thought of it that way. I don't way. know. It's kind of how I feel when I, when I look at it. I don't know if that's right or wrong. That's but. cool. Let's talk about the back of the album cover. So this is a picture of a man who's standing on a boat and he's in a suit. Looks very nice, but you're looking. It's from the perspective of behind the man in front of him. He's his boat is on the ocean and in front of him, he's seeing a really big wave cresting. And at the top of the wave, there is this like ghost bride. She's in all white. She's got a veil covering her face. Looks like she's maybe carrying some flowers. I think what this says to me is that this is a this is a couple who have who have been married, um, or he believes that he will marry her or should marry her. Him being on the boat and her being on the wave signifies to me that they are sep- that their hearts are separated. The wave to me feels like this is this is a really rocky time in the relationship or this is a fight of some kind and that he always believed that his bride would be on the boat with him during these rocky times, but she's out on the wave. You kind of just hope going into a marriage that even in these rocky, really tough times, that person's going to be on the boat with you and you're going to figure it out together on the boat. But this kind of feels like they're separated. Yeah, it strikes me definitely as... um I don't know. I think the the narrator, quote unquote, I guess, in a lot of these songs just feels like someone who, you know, everything, existence is like very daunting for them. And just love is very daunting. And, you know, trying to make things better and trying to connect with people just seems like uh, just a really tall order. And that's kind of what this looks like to me is just, oh, my gosh, like, how am I supposed to jump in? and battle the waves and so you see it as him joining her out on the ocean well i think i i see it just very much as like a how do i like what am i what am i supposed to do here like what yeah the hell is, <laughs> like what do we do now i couldn't really find a lot on the artist for the cover i couldn't find like a photographer or anything every time i googled postal service cover art I would just get a bunch of pictures of stamps. So I could not find anything on (laughs) the actual like credit behind all this artwork. Best lyric. What's your favorite lyric on give up? Well, you've kind of, you might need to ask me this in a week because you've kind of injected some, (laughs) a lot more to think about, but uh, coming in, it's, I mentioned it earlier, but I mean, it's, it's really, it's probably one of the most popular ones, but like don't feed me lines about some idealistic future. I think that's like, really good but complex but simple kind of writing and uh just says the entire song basically in in one line i think it's really really beautifully written i like that so what's yours i think one of mine i had two so the first one we've already talked about from um the first one is from this place is a prison where he says i know it's not a party if it happens every night yeah uh we've kind of talked about that already but My other favorite line is from Clark Gable. It is the first line of a song where he says, I was waiting for a crosstown train in the London underground when it struck me that I've been waiting since birth to find a love that would look and sound just like a movie. 
He talks about the Crosstown train on the London Underground, and he says, when it struck me, (laughs) the train struck me. And it's obviously like a double entendre kind of a thing. When it struck me that I've been waiting since birth to find a love like a movie. Um, I think this, it's, whatever, it's kind of cheesy how he did did that, I suppose. No, I think that's cool. I love it. No, I... It reminds me a lot of like the, this band Horses sings. Oh, uh, I love, I I know what you're going to say. No one's going to love you. Basically, is the name of the song. Mm-hmm. It's, no one's gonna love you more than I do. Oh, the, I love that the whole song. thing. It's just such a. I don't know. I like stuff like that. I think that's yeah. Cool. So that I would say that was that's one of my favorite one of my favorite lyrics. Who's a forgotten man of Give Up? Uh, I think it's probably it's probably Jimmy Tamborello. I mean, I think I think he as as much as uh, this sounds nothing like a Death Cab album it still feels more like a death cab album album than anything else just because of ben gibbard's voice and i think a lot of a lot of this album kind of goes underappreciated uh probably because of that fact but it's so cool how different they made this sound and how unique they made this sound and so much of that has to do with all the the synths and the samples and all the shit that's going on underneath the voice is just so so cool and i I, when was last time you heard somebody bring up jimmy tamborello's name in (laughs) casual conversation but that's that's how i feel i think my forgotten man is probably jen wood yeah so she sings strong case to be made for that she sings on a couple of these songs and for the longest time i think you had mentioned this to me too but for the longest time (laughs) i just thought jenny lewis sang the female parts on all the songs yeah um and they and jenny lewis toured with postal service but so did jen wood um so i think she gets forgotten as she is not as well known in the music industry she didn't have a whole acting career that came before being in rilo kiley and being this like really cool um like indie guitar girl that like indie girls could look up to right she was like jenny lewis is so much more marketable i think yeah because we all know what she looks like and what she sounds like and i think jen wood just kind of gets um, lost in the shuffle and all that. Yeah. But I think she's such a beautiful voice and she did a great job on this album. Agree. Well, DJ, thank you so much for being on my podcast. You got it. I'm, what I'm an happy honor. happy to be here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, I'm happy to, <laughs> happy to be here and happy to talk about uh, just one of my most underrated albums of the last 15 years, I'd say. Well, I really appreciate it a lot. You got it. Let's do it again soon. You got it. Thank you so much for listening today. The Radio Gaga podcast comes out weekly, so be sure to subscribe and look out for next week's episode. Our album next week is Metamodern Sound in Country Music by Sturgill Simpson. My friend Kevin Van Valkenburg joins me for the episode, and he has some really insightful thoughts on Sturgill and on the album. So give Metamodern Sounds in Country Music a listen this week, and be sure to tune in again next Tuesday. Until then... Follow me at Radio Gaga Blog on Instagram and visit my website, radiogagablog.com, for more album reviews. You'll also see a new page as of this week that has a bunch of music biographies and books that I recommend. I'll be updating this page pretty frequently and would love any recommendations you have as well. Just head to the contact page at radiogagablog.com to send me your favorites. See you back here next week.